Welcome to the Mormon Marriages Podcast. I am Angeline Bagley. And I am Nate Bagley. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe that the most important thing in life is your family, and the backbone of your family is your marriage. So on this podcast, we talk with couples from the church who provide amazing insights into what it takes to create a marriage that will make you look forward to eternity. It would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show, uh, review it on iTunes, and reach out to us if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas to make it even better. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoy the show. Wait. Hello. 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 We welcome you today. I was off key. You were super <laughs> off key. <laughs> Hi. I love your laugh. Thanks. What did you want to go over? Well, welcome to another Q&A episode of the Mormon Marriages Podcast. Question and answer. Um, this was actually quite difficult for me to record. I was surprised at how difficult it was for me. I think you're very brave. Thank you. Um, you may find in the beginning I beat around the bush quite a bit, but Nate was great at calling me out on that. But anyways. Um, We're talking you- about how to support a partner who's struggling with depression and anxiety. Right. Yep. So we hope you enjoy it and we hope that you learn something. Yep. And, and we hope that we get to see you if you're in the Salt Lake area at the Ask a Mormon Sex Therapist live event on the 20th of September, 2019. Right, which we also talk about at the end of the episode already. But now we threw it in the beginning, too. It's a sandwich. <laughs> okay. All right, everyone. Have a great day and enjoy the episode. What's up, sexy? <laughs> Hi. You weren't expecting that, were you? No, I wasn't. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm excited. So you called me today and you're like, I want to record a podcast episode. Yes, I did. And tell tell our listeners why. So this is just a topic. We got asked a question um, over Instagram. Uh-huh. A couple the, weeks ago, right? A couple of weeks ago. So yeah. sometimes we get questions Pretty for, frequently. for our Q&A episodes. And so I've been thinking about this question and then we had some interesting experiences just in our family the past couple of weeks that um reminded me of this question and it's just been burning in my brain for the last little while so i'm excited to talk about it yeah what happened in our life that brought that up for you so a couple of uh, was it a couple of weeks ago it was like two and a half weeks ago um your grandma passed away yeah so um we had lots of family things going on Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time with your family um went to the funeral and um, it reminded me of a story that you told me on your mission. Your mission president was Brad Wilcox. Yep. And we did an episode with them, if you haven't. With Brad and Debbie. With Brad and Debbie, if you haven't checked it out. Go back and check it out. Yep, you can check it out. <laughs> so she did a fireside um, about going to the funeral. Right. I remember that. So she, her message was, this is like one of the only things I remember from my mission <laughs> is that she shared the message of always go to the funeral. Right. And, and that means always do, there are things in your life that will come up that if you don't show up, if you don't like do the thing, nobody's going to notice. It's mm-hmm. not going to really impact their life. But if you do, they'll never forget it. Right. And I always remember her saying that. And I kind of have had this theme in my life ever since I heard her give that talk of always go to the funeral, always, always go that extra step for people, always try and be there for them in the time where it's not necessary, but it's really, um, appreciated. Right. So 
I'm going to read the question and then we can dive into this in a little bit more detail of how this applies. Okay, cool. What's the question? So the question is, I am in a place with my significant other where he is really struggling. Life is just stressful and I think he's getting a little depressed. Do you have advice on how I can be there for him and support him? I know it's not my place to fix his situation, but I want to help him. What a sweet wife. Yeah. I love that. And I can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. I think all of us go through times in our marriage, whether it's because of something that's going on between the the relationship, like within our relationship, or something totally external, mm-hmm. like grandma dying or losing right. a job or having a health issue, that it just can put you in a funk. It right. can be hard. So this episode, we are going to be talking about how to help your partner who is dealing with anxiety and depression. Great. So I think this is something super universal. It, a lot of people a, will relate to this. A lot of people will relate to it. Okay, let's tell a story. So the story is... I'm struggling so bad. We don't have to start over, but I'm struggling. So what are your notes say is next? <laughs> what are your notes say is next, honey? Podcast episode, go to the funeral. Okay, did that. How to support a spouse with depression and anxiety. Great. We can't do the work for them. Perfect. Be the one who goes to the funeral. Okay. There are a lot of little things that wouldn't make a huge difference if you didn't do them, but would make a world of a difference if you did. Right. What could you show up for in your spouse's life that would make a world of difference to them? Okay, that's the takeaway. Now, what else is on there? Examples of how to do that. And okay. then sharing about the panic attack. So what I think the right thing to do is share about the panic attack now. I think I'm having a hard time sharing that. I can tell. It's probably a good thing to share then. Okay, honey. So tell us the story. <laughs> oh, are you having a hard time? Something went down a couple of weeks ago, dear listeners. It was like last week, right? Yeah? She nodded. This is why we wanted to talk about this, because it's pretty personal. (laughs) So this is a topic that hits close to home. Um, I didn't think it would be this hard to talk about. So our listener asked how, essentially, how to support her significant other, who was a little depressed. Um, And she specifically said... I want to support him, but I know I can't fix it for him. Hmm. And I think that's super important um, because we can't fix most of the time. We we really can't fix our partner's problems. We can't take them away from them. Right. And um, I specifically have um, struggled with anxiety for all my life. Um, And I think... The older I get, the worse it gets. Hmm. (laughs) Um, And it specifically gets absolutely horrible in accordance with my menstrual cycle. cycle. (laughs) (laughs) We're just getting so open and personal with everybody with this. It's all right. This is reality. This is what exists in people's lives. Um, 
So I guarantee you, you're not the only one. I guarantee <laughs> you. I guarantee you there's somebody, there's either a husband listening right now going, oh yeah, I get that. Or a wife going, oh yeah, I get that. Yeah. So if I could describe anxiety to those who don't know how it feels, I mean, I think everyone gets anxiety at some point or another, but to like... There's a difference between feeling anxious and having anxiety. Right. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between the two. And I saw this image once, and I'm really hoping I can find the image. So you can put it on the blog. So I can put it on the blog. But I saw this image of this woman sitting in a chair, and she had a big thought bubble over her head. And there were three different colors of squiggly lines, and they were all just, like, enmeshed within each other. They were entangled and in a giant ball of color. And she was talking to a therapist, and the therapist was had a kind of a thought bubble over her head and, and little individual balls of yarn. And she was taking the strings out of the woman's thought bubbles, and she was organizing them into their separate colors and into their separate thoughts. And that, I saw that and I was like, that's exactly how I feel when I'm having anxiety and specifically like an anxiety attack or a panic attack. Mm -hmm. I can't, I don't even know why I'm feeling it. It's like, it's all just entangled within each other. I can't have a rational thought because it's all just a giant tangled mess. Um, And... Getting married with anxiety was interesting. I think. Well, you married me, not anxiety. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> when we got married, <laughs> um, I had specific things that I would do to manage my anxiety, and I got really good at it. Um, this is before you were married. Before, before, before we, were married. we were married. I had my specific tactics of things I would do to manage my anxiety. Um, and a lot of that involved like going for a drive in the canyon or listening to music, being alone, um, things that were just like not possible to do when we got married. It just wasn't the same. I couldn't use the same tactics when we got married and that kind of threw everything into a hair. Or, or you could, but there was, like, you can't just leave and go for a drive without telling me where you're going. Now my anxiety wasn't just affecting me. I had this other human. Right. <laughs> Did we talk about me having anxiety before we got married? Not a whole lot. I don't think it ever came up much. Mm-mm. It didn't manifest itself much until after we got married. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think it was something you were expecting. No, it took me off guard for sure. Um, and I was just like, oh, what's this wonderful little surprise? (laughs) Hello. Why is my wife hyperventilating (laughs) in bed? (laughs) Yeah. So we have over the last three years, um, been able to manage it a little bit better. Um, we've gone to couples therapy and things like that to help it. Um, but it's, it's not something that's going to go away. Um, I am reminded of the past couple of weeks 
in the Come Follow Me, we were reading. Well, actually, this might, we might not have read it yet. It's in Corinthians. And it's, Paul is talking about the thorn in his side um, and how he asks God like three times to take away the thorn in his side. But God never takes it away. And all his response is just, my grace is sufficient for you. Like, something you're going to have to deal with. Um, and I would say that anxiety is probably one of the thorns in my side. It's just something that I'm always going to have for my entire life. So from your perspective, what has it been like for you? We can share a specific story in a minute, but what I want to hear from you is what it's been like to watch me deal with anxiety. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. It's hard for a couple of reasons. And if I'm really honest, initially it was really hard because I thought I was the cause. Mm -hmm. If you were anxious or sad or struggling with something, I subconsciously, I think I just took it as a reflection on me as a husband Mm -hmm. and I took it personally. And therefore I, I think your anxiety would become contagious. Sometimes you'd feel anxious. And then I start to feel anxious that I wasn't a good husband. So I would try and treat my anxiety about not being a good husband or about worrying about my wife's overall health that I would try and, um, I would try and treat your anxiety to treat my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I'd try and fix you so that I could fix myself. Right. You didn't like feeling anxious. And so. No. And, and because when you felt anxious, I felt anxious. I'm like, well, if I fix her anxiousness, then mine will go away. Mm-hmm. So that, that initially was probably the hardest part of you being anxious is that when you got anxious, I got anxious. And then we were just both anxious and our ways of dealing with the anxiety was different. I would want to talk things out and like reach a resolution and find a, find an answer to the problem. And you wanted time alone. Like if you remember at the beginning of this conversation, all the solutions that Angela proposed were, I want to be like, go for a drive. I want to read a book. I want to spend time in, in my room alone. And, and I'm the opposite. And so I'd start chasing Angela and being like, hey, let's talk about it. Hey, let's fix it. Hey, what's going on? Hey, tell me what's going on. Hey, why aren't you talking to me? Hey, why are you pushing me away? And it would just cause her anxiety to go up even further. And it turned into this nasty, vicious cycle where we we had a couple of tough arguments, a tough, mm-hmm. couple of tough conversations. And uh, that was one really hard part about it. And the other hard part is just watching you suffer. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard. <clears throat> to see you like sit there and hyperventilate and go into this death spiral of worry and um it's hard it hurts a little bit and i don't want to make you feel guilty for mm-hmm. cuz i don't want you to feel bad for ha- ha- for having anxiety when there's nothing that you can really it's not your fault right you know mm-hmm. but at the same time it is difficult to watch somebody that you love struggle and so that's that's also hard because there's a part of me that wants to just take out and reach out and take the pain away. Yeah. I want to just kiss the boo-boo and make it go get better, you know? Right. And I think this is the dilemma that our listener is in right now. Um, yeah. What do you do, you know? Watching her partner um, be a little bit depressed. And I think we lump depression and anxiety together in the same category. They're They're very different, but I think kind of the way that you approach them, the way you approach any mental health issue can be similar. There's some basic principles. that Right. And I'm just reminded of our talk with our therapist, Kate, our dear therapist, Kate. We sure love her. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but we were talking about this with her. And 
um, I remember there was this kind of this breakthrough that we had with her that seemed really simple, but made all the difference. And it was when she said something like, Nate um, needs to give Angela permission to sit with her emotions and not take them on. Like to differentiate yeah. a little bit, to not get tangled Jennifer up. Jennifer Finlayson Five talks a lot about this. Her work with and David Schnarch, yeah. yeah. Differentiation. Um, I'm just picturing that big ball of tangled yarn, and it's easy for somebody else to get tangled in that if they get too close. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. So she recommended um, creating just enough differentiation just enough um, distance between the emotions that you gave me permission to sit with that and take it on my own Um, and that gave me permission to feel what I was feeling without worrying that I was affecting you negatively yeah and that helped me to break the cycle a lot quicker knowing that you were going to be okay regardless of how I was feeling and that you trusted me to take care of it. I'd been taking care of it all my life before I met you and knowing that you trusted me to take care of it then was really helpful. So how would you, how would you word that in a way that would make sense to people? (laughs) I think that made perfect sense, honey. (laughs) Yeah. I think sometimes we need to give our partner a chance to sit with the problem that they're going on without fixing it for them, Mm -hmm. but be a safe place for them where we don't make the problem worse, which is Mm -hmm. what I was doing initially. So now when I see you feeling anxious, I can, it takes work and I'm not perfect at it, but I can consciously say, okay, this is a sign that Angela's experiencing anxiety. And I can say, what do you need? Mm -hmm. Do you want some time to yourself? Do you want to talk about it? What do you need? And if you're in a place where you're not even able to say what you need, I just say, I'd tell you what you need. (laughs) I say, it looks like you need some time to yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you have time to yourself. I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go read a book or I'm going to go, I don't know, do something. And when you're ready to talk, let me know. And you always come around and we have a conversation and work it out and you, you eventually rein yourself in. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, because I think that's something I've noticed is oftentimes when you ask me what I need, I don't even know what I need. But if I give you enough time to sit with it, you figure it out. And I think I think that a lot of people, in an effort to make things better, they actually make things worse. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just say, hey, I'm here for you when you need me, and I'm not going to take this on for you. And a lot of times when we try and fix our, our partner's problems, we take their problems on. Mm-hmm. Like we, we feel like we have to go into the pit with them. And there's a, a difference between empathy, which is like I feel your pain and this really is hard, and enmeshment, which is everything you feel is exactly what I feel too. And empathy is like a, it's a Christ-like attribute and enmeshment is a very natural man thing. It's like, it's like, because your partner gets the chicken pox, you feel like you have to go take somehow ingest the chicken pox virus and get it yourself. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a difference between like, oh, I know how bad it sucks to have a fever 
and how bad this must or it must suck to to be hurting and suffering. Let me bring you some soup and and make sure you feel comfortable. Like that's empathy. And enmeshment is oh, you have the cold. Kiss me on the mouth as much as you can, so I can be have a cold and we and can I'll be su- sick next I'll to each other. With you, right? And so a lot of times when we try and fix our partner's problem, what we do is we try and take on the problem ourselves. And then it may, it actually exacerbates the problem because then you have two people who are suffering. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is just be a pillar of strength and positivity and hold space, hold some space and just say, Hey, I want to let you wrestle with this and whatever you need, I'm here mm-hmm. and I love you. And I'm going to be here no matter what. And I know it's going to be hard and all you got to do is ask and I'm going to keep an eye on you, but I'm not going to try and fix this for you. Yeah. I think that's important. Did that make sense? Yeah, it did make sense. Cool. I think it's really important to differentiate empathy and enmeshment. Yeah. I think that's really important. So let's digest this a little bit. Um, we Are you going to a real world experience now? You don't want to. I can tell. <laughs> You're avoiding it. <laughs> but that's the next thing we need to talk about in this podcast. <laughs> it's It's hard to share. Share it. It's important. I love you. It just seems so silly. <laughs> it seems so silly. Like It's one of the hard things about anxiety is sometimes it does feel silly. Because you told me yourself, you know you're being like a little irrational, but yeah. you can't really help it. Once you get into that spiral, it's hard to get out of it. Yeah. So... Um, real life example of what this looks like. (laughs) This is something we've been practicing for a while. We're getting pretty good at it. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had a really bad panic attack. Um, and it was a situation where I don't even really know why. Like there wasn't anything that was really setting me off. There was stuff. You had a rough day at work. Somebody was really mean to you, one of your patients. But I think it was more the fact that I was feeling anxious right. was what made that situation set, set right. which just set me off. But I'm just saying there wasn't nothing going on. Yeah. You were already anxious as it was. You were late on your ladies' days. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of hormone stuff going on. You were mm-hmm. feeling anxious. And then you had a crappy day at work. You were overwhelmed. I had a patient be really mean to me. <laughs> and then you came home. Um, and I had to work the next two days. I was working three in a row. Three 12-hour three shifts. Three 12-hour shifts in a row. And I remember thinking, I need to call in. I need to call in sick for tomorrow. Because I'm in no mental space to um, handle going to work. And it was that debate inside my head of whether I should call in sick or not that sent me into the panic attack. And I started, I think the telltale signs were, were laying next to each other in bed. I can't keep my legs still. I start kicking my legs. Um, and then I start hyperventilating and thrashing around. It's not pretty. Um, and I'm laying next to her going, What's going on? And then, <laughs> and then essentially I just sob um, and stop. Like I'm either hyperventilating or, I, hyperventilating or I'm not breathing. Um, and 
Nate handled it perfectly <laughs> looking back the way that he took care of me in that moment. He didn't make me feel stupid. Um, Sorry, honey. I don't know why. It's okay. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Um. <laughs> See, you just handed me my water. <laughs> you know exactly. Take a drink. <laughs> um, you held me. Um, didn't say anything. Except for breathe. <laughs> Take some deep breaths. Into your tummy, not into your shoulders. Yep, in your tummy. You went and got me a cold glass of water. Um, sometimes a drastic change in temperature. Changing, kind of changing your physiology is a really great way to change your emotional state. snap you out of it. So drinking water that's cold helps. Getting in a cold shower helps. Um, but, yeah, I don't even really remember exactly how it went down just because... After the fact, oh, I do. After, a, <laughs> after a panic attack, I mean, it's just kind of exhausting. Um, but you, you were just, you just kind of sat with me while I went through it. Yeah. You let me experience it. You knew that you couldn't take it away, and you just kind of held my hand through it. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. Tell me your side of the story. Yeah, you. When you get anxious, you get mean. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I think you attack the easy target, which is often me. And I have to recognize when I see you freaking out that my immediate instinct is take it personally. Mm-hmm. But when I realize it's anxiety, I step back and I go, oh, okay. She's not in a rational place right now. Mm-hmm. And so immediately I just started going, okay, I can't take the anxiety away from her, but I can give her opportunities to like this, this was a situation where it wasn't just like, I'm feeling anxious. It was a panic attack. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, what are some things we can do? We can get her to get up and walk around. We can get her to try and control her breathing and we can, um, get her to change her physiological state with a glass of water. And then I think the most important thing that I did that, that I think is worth talking about is I did not let you lie. So what happens a lot of the time when people are experiencing anxiety or depression is that they start believing a false version of reality, the worst possible version of reality. They take um, something, like for you, the thing you fixated on was placing the IV in your patient, mm-hmm. and your you your patient was being um, difficult and made it really hard to get the IV stuck, and then she criticized you for it. And then you started saying things like, maybe I am not as good at placing IVs as I thought. Maybe I'm a crappy nurse. Maybe I'm really bad at this. Maybe I've been lying, you know, and you started spiraling and telling horrible stories about yourself that were not true. And I think think a lot of people, when their partner is feeling down... They and they hear their partner start saying negative things about themselves, their natural inclination, what they've been taught is to empathize. You go, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that really sucks. That sounds really hard. And I think that's important, but it's it's important to not reinforce a lie mm-hmm. because that doesn't help things get better. And um, 
if your partner is believing something that is a lie, it's not going to help them regain confidence. It's not going to help them. Like the truth will set you free. If you are, if you are in the grips of anxiety and depression, a lot of the time you are in the grips of a lie or several lies. And when you ground your faith back in the truth of what's really happening back into reality, um, you're, you regain your footing you experience a sense of stability. And so you started to say things like, I'm a horrible nurse, I'm a horrible nurse. And I'm like, is that true? (laughs) And you're like, yes. And I'm like, do you know for sure that it's true? And you're like, no. And I'm like, did you just win the freaking Caregiver of the Year Award for the entire, like, Intermountain Healthcare System? You know, you're not a terrible nurse. I know that. You know that. You know that. And you're like, no, I'm not a terrible nurse. I'm like, what might be closer to the truth? And you're like, hmm. Maybe I just had a hard time because my patient wasn't easy on me. And I was like, that might be true. That I can empathize with. But I'm not going to empathize with I'm a horrible nurse when I know it's a lie. And I'm trying not to be mean about calling out the lie. But I also am not going to let you lie about yourself and tear yourself down. Because I wouldn't let anybody else speak to you that way. And so it's important to to be with your partner and to, and to empathize with them and hold space for them. And I think it's also, it can be your job as a partner to keep them grounded in truth when their brain and their emotions are running away and trying to lead them down a a path of lies that will weaken who they are as a person, especially if you, if you reinforce them, then they think that it absolutely must be true Mm -hmm. and you have a less powerful partner and a less involved partner. You know, oh, I can't do this diet. It's too hard. I'm just a failure. Oh, I'm so sorry, honey. No, <laughs> no, I believe in you. Well, and I, I, I also think it's important. I really appreciated the way that you did it because you didn't come out and go like, stop saying that. That's right. not true. Right. You just said, is that true? Like you, you turned it back on me. Yeah. You is get that to true? I'm not trying to bludgeon you over the head with it. Right. I'm just trying to get you to be curious. Hey, the stuff that you're saying right now. Do you hear yourself? Mm-hmm. Do you really believe that? Mm-hmm. Do you really? <laughs> if you do, that's fine. You can believe it. But I just want to ask, is it true? Because <laughs> you're all welcome to believe it if it's not true. You can believe what it, you can believe in Santa Claus if you want. <laughs> I don't care. But I'm just asking, is it true? And when you find your feet again and you go, oh, yeah, I forget. I am amazing. <laughs> you And you are. I think it, the way that you did it helped me solve my own problem. Yeah. Because ultimately that's kind of what needs to happen. Yeah. So let's bring this full circle. Okay. Cause we were talking about the funeral aspect right. of it. Um, we went to your grandma's funeral. Yeah. So many family there. Yeah. Everyone's, um, it was, a, it was lovely. It was a great service to see so many people literally the day she passed away. The day before she passed away in the hospital, she had 71 family members come visit mm-hmm. her. Yeah. That's so amazing to me. Immediate, so, yeah. We're, immediate family members. <laughs> yeah. Like kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. It she was had a amazing. lot of people that loved her. A lot her. of people that love her. One thing that was interesting to me is here I am, an in-law. Um, and one thing your grandma always said to me that was really sweet was, we're so glad you're ours. Shouldn't make me feel like an in-law. But me being there, getting hugs from your aunts and uncles and people who were just so grateful that I specifically was there. Yeah. 
And they were additionally grateful because you took care of her. Mm -hmm. You were basically her nurse the last couple days of her life. And I think they found a lot of solace. I know I did a lot of solace in that. That was really special. (laughs) We're both boobs on this episode. (laughs) Honey, don't say boobs. This is a a Mormon (laughs) podcast. Um, but it was also, um, a weekend where we had like, like I was supposed to go be with my family for the things, but I went, I went to the funeral and going back to what you said about sister Wilcox's message of always going to the funeral. I didn't have to go to that funeral and I don't think your family would have maybe... They would have understood had you not come. They would have understood had it not come. And it wouldn't have been a big deal if I hadn't have come. But when they hugged me and thanked me for being there, I could tell that it meant a lot that I took the time to be there. Yeah. And I think that's so, it's such a profound thought that I remember when I was younger and I'd get like invites in the mail for weddings or things like that. And I think, mm, they're not even going to notice if I don't go. Yep. I'm not going to go. And that's probably true. They probably didn't notice that I didn't go. Because weddings and things like that, there's a lot of crazy things going on, and it's just easy to not notice. Yeah. But when you do go, people always remember. Yeah. Like, they always remember that you were there for them in that moment. Like, for our date nights. When we have, like, family and friends and stuff show up to the date nights, it's like... It means extra. They didn't have to come. No. But when they do, it's like, oh, my God, thank you. <laughs> like, thanks for coming. That it does means mean a, a lot. It means a lot. And so it just reminded me of this situation, the situation with anxiety, the situation with depression, with mental health. That's one side of the coin. And then the other side of the coin is just, like simple everyday stressors like having a hard day at work or um an illness or getting in an argument with a friend or you know just just things that um are making it hard for your spouse to feel joy there's a lot of things that if you didn't do it, it probably wouldn't make that big of a dif- a deal. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. It wouldn't make that much of a difference. But if you did do it, it could make the world of a difference to them. So let's talk about maybe some examples of that. The little things that you can do to support yeah. your I, I pick up, to support yeah. your spouse to go to the extra mile without fixing their problem for them. Yeah. What are some what's some of the examples you've thought of? Um, well, I think like, let's say your spouse is having a really hard time at work. They don't get along with their coworkers or they have a really, um, crappy boss, crappy boss or stressful just, job. just stress, just a deadline that they need to get just really stressful. You can't take that away from them. Right. But maybe you can slip a note in their briefcase right. that they find in the middle of their stressful day. Or maybe instead of coming down on them for coming home late or um, or telling them that they need to leave work at work, maybe you can maybe you can be a little bit more supportive. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could say, "Hey, why don't we get a sitter tonight 
and the two of us just go out and you can just unload on me. Mm-hmm. I can tell you're carrying a heavy burden and I just want you to just dump it on me for a little bit. Let me, let me take you something off your plate. Or why don't I just give you a massage? You look so stressed. Can mm-hmm. I just like, can we just go lock the bedroom door and I can just give you a massage mm-hmm. and. Or not making them feel guilty if they need to go veg for a little bit. Yeah, and go throw, play a video throw game. Throw on Netflix or go play. Or go hang out with their, with their their friends, mm-hmm. like their girlfriends or guy friends to just like blow off some steam. Just give them permission to do that. Yeah. Instead of saying, you've been so distracted and you don't help me around the house and you're just so disconnected. Just say, hey, what is it you need? What do you need so that you can come back feeling like yourself again? Because mm-hmm. I want to give you that. I can tell you're carrying a heavy burden right now. Mm-hmm. Um, more, more often than not, when our partner's not showing up for us the way that we think that they should be showing up, it's because they're dealing with something, not because they're trying to be jerks. Right. Most of us married pretty great people. Mm-hmm. There's the occasional, like, jerk wad <laughs> that you, you know, who's been able to disguise themselves for a while and you find out that they're just really selfish and that a, a relationship is not going to work with them unless they're with. They're, they're 100% takers, and it only works when they're with 100% giver. And that's just an unbalanced, unhealthy relationship. But most of the time, the person that you're with is really a good person, and the reason they're not showing up the way you want them to is because they're going through something. So simply giving them permission to go through it. Yeah. I and think trying makes, to help them makes get through a big it. difference. Yeah. Um, just kind of being a safe space for them to to vent or or to not vent. Sometimes... Talking about it would make it worse. So yeah. just giving them permission to deal with it however they're going to deal with it. I think sometimes, um, depending on how difficult things are going, if you've got a, a persistent problem that's not going away, sometimes you need to do the hard thing, like taking a stand and saying, I think you need to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to book the appointment, and we're going to go in together, and I don't want you to do this alone. Mm-hmm. So let's go. Let's go see if we can't figure out what's going on. Because I know you don't want to be sad or struggling or depressed or feeling the way that you're feeling. And I don't think it's just going to go away. Yeah. I think too often we, the strategy for overcoming our difficulties and struggles too often is hope. And hope is not a good strategy. Why is it not a good strategy? Because what is faith? Faith is hope plus works. If you have the hope without the works, you don't have real faith. You don't have real, you're not going to make change. Mm-hmm. Faith is the thing that inspires people to repent. You know, those are, that's the order that, that the principles and ordinances of the gospel are. First, faith in the Lord. Second, repentance. Repentance is change. Faith is hope plus action. So you have a hope that you can be better, then you go out and take action, and then the change happens, and you become a better version of yourself. And if you, if you live on hope alone and you don't stand up and take action, your life will not change. Some magical change fairy doesn't show up and go, I noticed you've been thinking a lot about this. Maybe I'm going to change your circumstances for you so that your life will be better. It's not how it works. Yeah. You are the magic change fairy. That's very true. Yeah. And so helping support your spouse through that. Right. So hoping your partner is going to get better is not a good strategy. Sometimes, like, you, first of all, you need to take action, and sometimes that action is difficult, like taking a stand and saying, let's go talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. The, somebody who specializes in mental health, not just your bishop. Right. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. 
I think some other simple things, um, getting excited about ideas that they suggest. That's something you really like. I do like that. Tell me about that. Yeah. I just like it when if I come in the door and I say, hey, let's go rock climbing tonight. And you go, I don't feel like it. I, it takes the wind out of my sails. But if you're like, okay, I'm like, oh, that was a win. I got mm-hmm. a victory. And people like having victories. They like feeling like they're, I'm not, I'm not advocating keeping score, but it feels nice to win points. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. And if we're playing the infinite game, the game that has no end, and your goal is just to accumulate infinite number of points, it still feels good to get points. You know what I mean? It still feels good to have your partner go, what a great idea. You're so thoughtful. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hey, I want to take you on a date tonight. Oh, that's great. Mm, I'm too tired. Like, no, come on. <laughs> I just want to sit in my pajamas tonight. No. Yeah. Let's go do the fun thing. Yeah. Even if it takes a little bit of effort. Yeah. What are some other things? Other things that you could do to help somebody with. That are like metaphorically showing up for the funeral. Um, I like finding the thing that your partner hates the most and taking care of it for them. Or at least making it more tolerable. Like, oh, we got to do the dishes. Dishes stink. Well, let's turn on a fun playlist of happy music and dance around in our underwear while we, while we do the dishes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, oh, I hate doing the laundry. Great. Well, let's turn on our favorite show and let's do laundry and then during the commercials we'll make out. <laughs> it's a fun thing to do. Yeah. And you can totally make that rule and there's nobody there to keep you from doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really great thing. Uh, I think going the, like what you said, being grateful giving your partner a little note of encouragement and love and support that goes a long way. Just those extra, extra mile moments of thoughtfulness. Yeah. You know, waking up a little bit early and surprising them by making their lunch. You don't need to be their mom and do it every day or their dad, but you can do it once. So there, there's literally infinite ways that you can metaphorically show up for the funeral in your spouse's life. Yep. So our, challenge to you is think about it. Think what's a funeral in your spouse's life that you could show up for. That would just mean a whole lot. How could you do it? That would just mean the world to them. Yeah. I love the question. Somebody shared this question with me the other day and I think it's a great question to ask on, you don't need to do it every day, but it was, what's something that I can follow up with you about later or ask you about later? What's something important you've got going on in your day that you want me to ask you about? Mm-hmm. I like that question. Yeah. It's like get, get involved in their life a little bit. Hey, how did that big meeting go? Hey, how did the phone call with that person's agent go? Which happened today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like cool, you know, what's the important things that are happening in your life and how can I be attentive to them? Just noticing those little things. That's a, it's a great thing to do. Yeah. I would love to just like sit down. If you have ideas of the ways that you can go to the funeral, leave them in the comments for this episode because I'd like to just collect a book. Maybe we can just call it Always Go to the Funeral and we can put together a list of like a thousand different ways that you can support your show up for your spouse in a way that makes them feel special. Mm -hmm. I like it. Let's do it. Okay. Contribute your ideas in the blog. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I like this. Anyways, that's kind of all my thoughts that I had for this episode. I like it. I I hope that our dear listener who wrote in, who is a a lovely, wonderful, concerned partner, I hope you, you got something. I hope that you got a couple of ideas. First, that you don't have to take on your partner's pain. Second, it's okay that they're struggling. 
Um, maybe those are swapped. And that you can hold space for them and make their life better even when they're struggling. And that's a great, great thing to do. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Thank you for your question. And thank you for sparking this vulnerable conversation. Thanks for, for sharing your story, honey. You're welcome. It's, it's important to talk about this stuff. Yeah. I think you're pretty wonderful. Thanks, honey. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Oh, before you go, if you're in Salt Lake, come to the Ask a Mormon Sex Therapist Live event. Oh, yes. It's happening on the 20th of September. If you listen to this after this airs, I'm sorry, but you can find a recording of it somewhere in the podcast, I'm sure, because we'll be posting it here. But if you're in Salt Lake, come hang out with us live. We want to give you a hug and hear from you and see you, and it would be wonderful to get to know you. All this stuff is on the website? Yep. Just go to the events tab on mormonmarriages.com. And if you're going to come to the Gottman date night, we'll see you there. Boom. It's going to be an awesome night. excited for it. Okay. Talk to you soon. We'll see you later.